you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 25. So friends, listen. This is the word of Christ. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of Christ. Well, we've been looking at the, this king. Matthew has been teaching us the gospel is about a king who is coming. And in this passage, the king is here. And Jesus' whole purpose in coming, his, whole, the, the, his mission is summed up in verse 17. It's summed up there where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom to earth. This is why he came. In verse 23, we see that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, and it says proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so Jesus came to bring God's kingdom to earth. Now, I think for us, at least for me, I have a little bit of trouble connecting to a kingdom. I mean, I understand the idea I get the idea of having a king, I've read about it, but the idea of living in a kingdom doesn't automatically generate things that are directly applicable to my life. And so I thought about that this week, and, and I, I, for me, I think the best way to think about a kingdom is to think about a kingdom as a culture. As a culture. Okay, a kingdom is a culture. It's, it's an environment that makes you feel a certain way. There's certain things about it, right? You understand the idea of culture. There's an aroma, like a feel to it. And so the kingdom of heaven is a culture that feels like heaven. Okay, it's a culture that feels like heaven. It's a culture where God is honored and where God is seen in words and service. That might be one way to think about a definition of the kingdom of heaven. It's a culture where God is honored and where God is seen through words and service. This is what Jesus was bringing to earth. He brought the culture of heaven to earth. One of the passages that I think is helpful in terms of understanding 
um, the Bible's descriptions of two different cultures that sort of compete in our world today is, is Romans 5. In Romans 5, verses 12 to 21, we see a description in the Bible of, these, of two different cultures. We see the kingdom of sin, and we see the kingdom of heaven. And in that passage, you could read it all on your own, but just let me throw out some words. It says in that passage that the kingdom of sin, the culture of sin, is characterized by judgment and death, by brokenness, by condemnation. And so the kingdom of sin is characterized by a lack of trust, by misunderstanding, by deceit, by arrogance and abuse. But that passage also describes the kingdom of heaven. And it describes it by using terms like life, forgiveness, righteousness, grace. And so the kingdom of heaven is a culture of healing, of loving trust, of understanding, of truth, of unity and service. Right? When you think about these things, these descriptions, they call to mind like feelings, don't they? Like some associations that you've had? I mean, think about the culture in your workplace, right? Do you feel like your workplace has a culture that's characterized by heaven? Or, or maybe is it more characterized by the kingdom of sin or the culture of sin? Think about your family life, your relationships, which kingdom would you say characterizes these aspects of your life? Jesus came to bring the culture of heaven to earth. And in Joy to the World that we sang last week, one of my favorite Christmas songs, it says that he has come to make his blessings know, known as far as the curse is found. And so when Jesus brings the culture of heaven to earth, he wants the culture of heaven to fill every aspect of your life, every aspect of this world. And he wants his kingdom to grow. He wants it to grow. The phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is used 31 more times in the Gospel of Matthew. 31 more times. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. And so the whole of Matthew's gospel describes how Jesus brings the culture of heaven to earth, how it happens, how he does it, what his part is. This passage in particular, these verses that we're looking at today, this passage says that in this endeavor, Jesus wants your help. In bringing the culture of heaven to earth, Jesus wants your help. Last week we talked about how Christmas is the story of Jesus bridging the gap, of Jesus bridging heaven and earth. But to see that culture of heaven grow, Jesus wants your help. Jesus will not do this alone. Jesus' mission includes you, every single one of you. That's what we're going to see today.
that Jesus wants to include you in bringing the culture of heaven to earth. And we're going to see this in Jesus' words and actions. And so if, I'm going to give you the first point. Um, Jesus starts this inclusion of you into his kingdom building, his culture-making project by saying, first, turn to me. Turn to me. That's our first point. Jesus says, turn to me. This is verse 17. Turn to me is what Jesus meant by the word repent. To repent means to reorient your life around him and the culture of heaven. That's what it means to repent. It's turning from the current direction of your life, whatever it is, to turning toward Jesus and believing in him. Okay, and again, if you were here last week, the, the two presents, the Christmas presents that Jesus had uh, for you were a clean slate and a bridge. The clean slate of forgiveness where Jesus gives you a clean slate. He gives you a new beginning. And then a bridge. where He's bridging uh, your, you back to God. And to repent, to, to reorient your life, that's what it means to give Jesus your heart. That's our gift to him. Our response to Jesus' gifts is for us to give him our heart. It's to worship him with our lives. And this is how we begin to experience the culture of heaven personally. Okay, when we turn to Jesus, he forgives our sins and then he fills us. He begins to pour out on us the culture of heaven. And so for those of you who are here and aren't Christians, um, this is what it means to become a Christian. It means turning to Jesus and beginning a relationship with him. And for, Christ, for Christians, this is the continual process for us. Because though we're committed to Jesus, when we're honest, we recognize there are areas of our lives where it's hard to follow him. Right? Where it's hard, we're not really turned toward him, but we've turned away from him. And maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a certain aspect of your life. Um, we want the culture of heaven into all of our lives. And so we need to continue to turn to Jesus in the areas where we fail to, to follow him, where we fail to turn toward him and ask him to forgive us and then give us his strength so we can grow. When you turn to Jesus, you find happiness in your turning. The process of turning to Jesus is what enables you to experience his forgiveness. And it begins to build a sense of happiness because you recognize that you are now reconciled to God. And so you can find happiness in that rather unlikely place. I read this article um, a couple weeks ago and I thought it was, it was super interesting. Listen to this on this point. Um, this lady says, 12 years ago, I changed my own name. I changed my name from Alina Simone, or to Alina Simone. I used to be Alina Velikin, but I changed it to Alina Simone. I swapped my father's last name for my mother's. And this is what she said. Whenever someone changes her name, a body gets stuffed into the closet. When I think back to my old self, I think of an entirely different person, not altogether likable, whose singular distinguishing characteristic was the chronic inability to follow through with anything she said she would do. 
I picked up an abandoned projects with great regularity back then. Then I changed my name and it changed me. In my new incarnation, interesting word, in my new incarnation as Alina Simone, I had no reputation, no history of unmet expectations, nothing to lose. And so I started singing. I formed a band and I poured my best self into my new name. Isn't that interesting? Folks, the gospel says that when you turn to Jesus, he gives you his name. You're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when God puts his name on you, you are his family. And Jesus pours his best self, his perfect self, into you. And he fills you with the culture of heaven. And so Jesus brings the culture of heaven to earth first by telling us to turn to him. He says, turn to me. The second thing that he says in this passage is he says, this is our second point. He says, follow me. Follow me. This is verses 18 to 22. And let me just say that there are some things that only Jesus can do. There are some things that Jesus needs no help from us with. Only Jesus can die for our sins. Only Jesus can give us a clean slate. Only Jesus can bridge the gap between heaven and earth. But in everything else, he wants us to participate. And so Jesus came. Part of his mission to bring the culture of heaven to earth, part of his mission was to develop leaders, to develop people. He came to take ordinary people and to equip them so that they could do extraordinary things. This is what we see him doing. And we see him beginning this process here in these verses. Jesus says to Peter and Andrew um, in verse 18, they were fishermen in verse 19, Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He does the same thing with James and John in verses 21 and 22. Um, Now, John 1 shows us that Jesus actually had a relationship with these men before this event. Okay, so this isn't just Jesus walking along, minding his own business, and seeing some random folks and saying, hey, Dan, follow me. Let's go. Come on, right now. Right now. Let's go. Just kidding. I mean, that wasn't how it was. These these men walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. You can read John chapter 1, and you can see that there was a relationship there that they had with him. So Jesus knew these men. They knew him. And so, but Jesus is now calling them to a greater commitment. Okay, they know him, but Jesus is now saying, I want you to follow me. This was actually a term, a command that was given by people who were rabbis during that time. A rabbi was a teacher, was someone who, and and part of the way that teaching was done back then was a rabbi would gather to himself a group of people who would follow him. And they were called disciples. They were called disciples. He would say, come follow me. And it was an invitation to them to be with Jesus in a more significant way. It was almost like a mentoring relationship. Jesus saying, I want to, I want you to follow me. I'm going to mentor you. 
And so it's interesting. Jesus puns on their occupation. Right? He says, I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus has a sense of humor. He's making a joke here. Um, but he's also actually quoting an Old Testament passage. He's quoting one of God's promises. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 16. And it's so cool studying the Bible because even if you've read through the Bible, there's stuff you miss. And I've read this, I don't know how many times I've read the book of Jeremiah, and yet I've never seen this verse before. Um, listen to, uh, this is Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. This is God talking. It says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But, they're going to call God something else. But this is what they're going to say. As the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. Okay, so... What they're saying in this passage is that there's coming a day when God's going to do something so radical that we're not going to talk about God as the God who brought us up out of Egypt in the Exodus, but we're going to talk about God as the God who has regathered us from all of the countries and from the northern country where we were scattered before. Because God is going to regather his people. They've been judged. Remember the exile that we saw in the genealogy of Jesus? Um, Again, Matthew is talking about that. But then look, it goes on. It goes on. So this is the new name that God's going to have. For I will bring them back to their own land and that I gave to their fathers. Behold, verse 16, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. So the way that God is going to gather his people and bring them back into the land, return them into a relationship with him, give them a new beginning, a clean slate, bridge the gap between where they are and where they need to be. The way God's going to do that is by sending out fishers of men and women. And so when Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, When he calls them to follow him, he's saying, I am going to use you to make my promises come true. I'm going to use you to bring the culture of heaven to earth. You're going to experience it as you follow me. And then I'm going to send you out to fish for people. You're going to share this culture You're going to be this culture for other people. And I'm going to use you to bring them back in. That's exciting. That's exciting. And so as Matthew, in the bigger picture of the gospel, as Matthew tells the story of Jesus, he's also going to be telling the story of Jesus training others to carry on his ministry. Okay, so we're going to see that. There's times where the focus and the spotlight's going to be on Jesus and what he does. And then there's other times where it's going to be, the spotlight's going to go to his followers, to his disciples. And we're going to get to watch Jesus training his disciples. And as he does that, Jesus is going to be training you. Jesus is going to be showing you what it means to follow him 
Jesus is going to be calling you to be more committed to him, to be part of his desire to fish out men and women from San Diego and Tijuana, to bring the culture of heaven more and more and more into our region. So that's exciting. That's exciting. Um, now, some people respond to Jesus' call and follow him into pastoral ministry or on staff at a church. Okay? It's true. What Jesus is calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John to do is to literally leave their occupations, to leave everything they do. They leave their occupations. They even leave family commitments, right? You see James and John leaving their father. Like, this is significant, especially in that culture where when you grew up, you were going to be whatever your father was um, in that culture. And so they leave their occupation. They leave their family and make this new commitment to Jesus. He's calling them to something else. And for potentially some of you, that may be what God has in your future. Some people respond to this call to follow by moving into full-time, well, moving into pastoral ministry or, or going on staff at a church. But more of you will not do that. So many of you won't. In fact, Jesus is going to ask you to follow him and to follow him by staying where you are. Staying in your job, staying in your family, staying in your situation, in your community, so that you can bring the culture of heaven exactly where you are right now. In order for the blessings of God to flow as far as the curse is found, we've got to find people where the curse is. You know, and if all that the church ever did was suck people out of the world and get them to move into full-time ministry, we wouldn't have anybody in the world anymore. Right? And so this process of following Jesus, for most of you, is going to involve you being trained by Jesus so that you could experience his kingdom, his culture, the culture of heaven from him, so that you could bring that culture into the lives that you already live. I think turning to Jesus is how you begin a relationship with him. Following Jesus is how you experience him daily in your life. When you follow Jesus by, by learning from him, right? This is one of the best ways we learn from him, right? When you read about what he thinks and what he's like, right? When you pray to him and talk to him, you get to know him more and more personally and you find out what he thinks. You learn how he feels about things. You understand his character. And when this happens, when you get to know Jesus like that, you get filled with grace. You are filled with the grace of God because you realize that God has loved you despite your past. In some ways, God has loved you despite your present Despite the struggles that you continually have, God loves you. And you realize when you spend time with Jesus, when you follow Jesus and you let him train and develop you, you realize that God doesn't love just the perfect. He loves the broken. And you have received that love. He has showered you with that love. 
And when you think about this, your heart grows. You realize that you have received this love and you've been filled with this love. And this makes you patient. It causes you to become loving and understanding of others. It's receiving the blessings of the culture of heaven from Jesus that enables us to then be a blessing to others. As you get to know Jesus, when you see his perseverance, when you see his boldness and his strength, you begin to feel empowered to follow him in the face of temptation, in the face of your difficulties, because you see him standing steadfast. You see him not wavering, and you realize, you know what? He's on my side. He's with me. He's next to me. He's in me. And you can feel strength. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And so this culture of heaven, bringing the culture of heaven to earth, it begins as we receive it, as we experience it from Jesus. And as we begin to follow him, we get more and more and more of it. And this brings us to our last point. Because Jesus says, first turn to me, second follow me. And then the last thing he says is, serve with me. He says, serve with me. This is verses 23 to 25. What we see in, the, in this part of the, of the passage is that Jesus overcomes all of the brokenness that we bring to him. Every, in every way that life is broken, Jesus fixes the brokenness. Um, now that the disciples are following Jesus, Jesus shows them what it means and what it's going to look like. In verse 23, he goes throughout the region. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Right? He's telling people, you know what? The culture of heaven is here. The culture of heaven is now on earth. Jesus can say that because he's God. Because the reason heaven is as wonderful as it is, is because God is as wonderful as he is. And so when God comes to earth, he brings with him this aura of heaven, this culture of heaven. If you were to interact with Jesus, you would think, wow, this is what life is supposed to be like. Wow, someone who understands me. Wow, someone who's gracious to me. Someone who will tell me the truth when I need to hear it. But to do it in a way that convinces me that he cares and he's out for my best interests. Jesus brought this culture of heaven to earth and so he taught people. He taught in the synagogues. He went to the people who were looking for the Messiah and he said, I am he. It's me. We see examples of this where he's reading parts of the Hebrew Bible and he says, this is talking about me. I am bringing the reality of this into your midst today. And Jesus wasn't just telling the people about the kingdom. He was showing people the kingdom of heaven. He was showing people the culture of heaven because he healed everyone of everything that plagued them. It's interesting, if you count up the number of geographical references in this passage, there's seven of them. 
that means the whole region. If you're really careful and look at the types of healing in verse 24, there are seven of those. Now, I'm sorry, but if you read it in English, you're only going to see six. <laughs> but in the Greek, um, it's you know, where, where the bugaboo is there, it's um, in verse 24 where it talks about those oppressed by demons. In the Greek, they're actually two separate things. It's those who are oppressed and those who are possessed by demons. And they just put them together. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so there's seven different kinds of healing. And so the idea here is he healed everyone of everything. Because he wants to show people the culture of heaven. Right? Have you ever wondered why does Jesus do miracles? It wasn't just to demonstrate power. It wasn't simply raw acts of power, but every single miracle of Jesus is a picture of the culture of heaven that Jesus was explaining. Okay, the miracles are God's way of showing what life is supposed to be and the way it would be if he had his complete way. The miracles are foretastes of God's perfect kingdom. Okay? In God's perfect kingdom, when, when the culture of heaven finally and fully invades earth and heaven and earth become one, there will be no sickness. There will be no disease. And so Jesus heals disease and sickness. In the culture of heaven, all of evil will be destroyed and eradicated. So every instance of oppression or demonic possession will be cast out. Jesus cast out demons that kept people stuck in evil patterns and evil habits. So these miracles were pictures of the kingdom. This is what Jesus did. And so for us, if we are Jesus' disciples, right, if this is part of Jesus' training of his disciples, what part do we play in this? Right, we're going to see what happens as Jesus sends out the disciples in chapter 10. Right, Jesus sends them out in chapter 10 and actually tells them to go do the same stuff. Go do these miracles. Go do these healings. Go do these exorcisms. How does that relate to us? Do we just tell people that, well, way back then, Jesus healed people, and in the future, he's going to heal us all completely? I think we can. That's part of what we say. But I think you also, as a disciple of Jesus, should be resolved to heal people too. And Jesus is going to train you how to do that. What do I mean? Well, I think first and foremost, I think you pray for people to be healed. When you see needs, when you see sickness, when you see people that are infirm, when you see um, problems that are in our city, when you see things that need to be healed, you first and foremost, you pray. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Jesus that healed miraculously and universally is still today able to heal whomever he chooses. We have seen people in our church healed because they've been prayed for. 
we have seen cancerous tumors miraculously gone. Um, we've seen someone who's, who had a ligament on their ankle that was completely torn off. We've seen it be reattached so that when the surgeon went in to reattach the ligament, it was already attached. These are things for which there is no other explanation other than the fact that Jesus continues to heal people today. And we need to pray. The Bible says in James chapter 5, is any of you sick? Call for the elders to pray. And they will pray and anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will heal them. And so we are called to pray for healing. We're called to pray for each other for healing. Comma, but. If you've been around for any length of time in the church, you will know that Jesus today doesn't always answer the prayers of healing with a yes. And so, First and foremost, in terms of your resolve to follow Jesus and to serve with Jesus in the area of healing. So you first, you pray for healing, but then second, you need to know that God works outside of healing as well. Just because he doesn't heal something miraculously doesn't mean that he's not at work. And you need to know that. You need to understand that. Um, A while ago, I was having a conversation um, with Jamie, uh, my daughter, and this sort of hit me in a, in a really new, new way, and it sort of exploded in my mind. Um, we were talking about homelessness and hunger, and she just asked me, she said, why doesn't God just do a miracle like he did with Jesus and feed everyone? Why not? And uh, when she said that, I don't know, new ideas hit me that I'd never thought about, and then two ideas came together for me. And, uh, and so I responded by asking her a question. I said, I said, Jamie, which would take more power? Which would take more of God's power? Him giving one person the ability to make enough food appear for everyone in San Diego to eat? Or God filling 5,000 people in the city with his heart and his love so that those people would work together to make sure that all the hungry are fed? You got that? Which would take more power from God? To, get, to give one person the supernatural ability to take a loaf of bread and break it and break it until all the people in San Diego were fed? Or would it take more power for God to move 5,000 of us so that we would connect with God's heart and God's love and that we would work together to make sure that every person in San Diego was fed. I think the second. And with that, it hit me that God is still doing miracles. But the miracles that he's doing are the work that he does in our hearts. God is bringing the culture of heaven into us so that we become the kind of people who spread the culture of heaven to others with what we say and what we do. And I think God is unleashing even more power, more of his power today than he did during the miraculous ministry of Jesus. 
It's a different kind of miracle, but it's the same. It's, I think it's, it's still a miracle when these needs get met. God knows that people want proof that he's real. And God also knows the best way to do this. Because if you have a miracle worker, that miracle worker will draw a crowd. But usually the people who see the miracle worker will say, yeah, that's great, but I could never do that. Right? Isn't that how you feel? I don't know what's in, I don't even, I don't know if it's real, number one. I don't know, you know I mean, we doubt it, right? We have all kind of skepticism that's poured over it. And then we think, well, even if it is real, like that's not, I, that's not, that's not anything I could do. But God has set it up so that it's our lives that prove he's real. It's the things that we do as part of his culture that show the people around us that God is real. And it's what gives us a platform, actually, to be able to teach and share the gospel with others. Because it's when we're actively meeting needs. It's when we are serving with Jesus. We're serving and meeting the needs of others. That's when, I mean, think about it even in our church family, right? It's when you care about someone else, and they know you care about them, that they're willing to let you speak into their lives. It's when you care about the needs of your neighbors and your coworkers that you'll have an opportunity to speak into their lives. You know what? The reason I'm doing this is because Jesus has showered me with his, the blessings of heaven, and I think this is how God would want it. I think God would want me to share his love with you. And I do. I care about you. I love you. And so here you go. What would our, ministry, what would our, what would our city be like if everyone who is connected to the culture of heaven began to share that culture of heaven, began to serve with Jesus, what would your life look like this year? If you would commit yourself to letting Jesus train you, if you would be committed along with Peter, Andrew, James, and John, to follow Jesus. That's my hope for you. It's my vision for this year, that if you, that you would let Jesus train you and that you'd be open to seeing if Jesus might use you to help train someone else. Because that's how it works. Jesus trained these four. Jesus trained the twelve the 12 train, uh, and then they train, and they train, and they train, and that's why we're here. It's because there's things Jesus can do that we can't do, but everything else, he wants to include you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray and ask that you would help each one of us here uh, to say yes. Lord, that for the Christians that are here, that we would be committed and willing to follow you. Lord, we don't exactly know what your training looks like. And so we thank you. That's what the rest of the book of Matthew is all about. It's seeing Jesus and seeing him train his disciples. Lord, that's what we want. We want you to use the rest of this book to train us. And Lord, We want to be committed. 
we know, Lord, that you can use us in the lives of others. Both other Christians here in our church family and also with folks who aren't Christians. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us. And Father, um, for those who are here yet and they're not yet Christians, I pray that you would help them turn toward you. Help them to sense your culture, the culture of heaven. Lord, you've made us in your image, and so every one of us, whether we're Christians or not, has the sense of what life is supposed to be like. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of them and help them to turn toward you, to give their hearts to you, to confess their sins. And I pray, Lord, that you pour out your culture on us. Fill us so that we can then fill others. Bless us so we can be a blessing to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.